For the better part of a decade, Bobby Wagner has been dominating the middle of the Seahawks' defense, eight-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, but he's also a champion off the field. We're going to be chatting with Bobby as he prepares for his bye week, and he takes part in plenty of community activities, doing what he can to help everybody out. This is going to be a really fun interview. Glad to have you joining us here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here for this Wednesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you are listening up in Fairbanks, Alaska, or near my former neck of the woods in Syracuse, Indiana. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up here in a few moments, we are going to have a very special guest joining us, kicking off his bye week and taking some time to join the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We're really fired up about that. And with the bye week coming up, it's really perfect timing. Not a perfect quarter with 17 games, but we will have our first quarter report cards on offensive position groups. And then we're going to dive into Devin Witherspoon's NFC Defensive Player of the Week performance. He won that award today. We're going to be diving into all the specifics, why he much deserved that award in a breakout performance on Monday Night Football. Let's kick off the festivities, shall we? Joining us here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, he is a nighttime All-Pro selection, the tackling king for the Seahawks, and, of course, a voice actor on the new Ninja Turtles movie that is coming out. Bobby Wagner joining us here on the show. Bobby, thanks for jumping on and uh, looking forward to discussing your newest initiative here with the Prevent campaign. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's discuss this. Obviously, in the Pacific Northwest, the last few years, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know how much smoke there's been and unhealthy air and tons of wildfires. It's been a prevalent issue throughout the United States, but especially in the Pacific Northwest. And most of these fires are man-made. So you were teaming up with USAA and the Renton Fire Department for the Prevent Defense Campaign. Uh, can you take me through what the initiative is, how you got set up with it, and what your goals are working with USAA and the Renton Fire Department? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to um, really educate and you know spread knowledge. I think a lot of times people don't understand that because it rains a lot um, that we don't have this issue, but um, it is a real issue. It's something that happens all the time. Um, it's something that we can prevent. I think, like you said, like 98% of the people or 98% of the wildfires are caused by humans. And so, you know, there's a part that we can play. I think the biggest thing is to try to protect our city that we love. And this is one way to do it. And I love, you know, partner up with USAA and the Ritten Fire Department to make this happen. And I know that you met with the fire department, did a meet and greet as well. Uh, how was that process for you, being able to pay it forward for firefighters? And we know the value of public service workers in general. But what has that process been like for you, being able to give back to the people that we view as the real heroes with the work that they do? It was really cool because, you know, a lot of times they don't get the, the acknowledgement that they should. And so to be able to come out here and really, you know, show love and support and, and show how grateful we are for their services um, was really cool. 
Let's talk a little bit of football, shall we? I know that at the linebacker position, you coming back to Seattle and you played with Jordan Brooks for a couple of years before you went to LA for a season. And he comes back basically miracle worker less than eight months after his torn ACL. He's back on the field. What what have you seen from him in this miraculous return here, these first four games? And where has he shown the most growth in your mind compared to those first two years when you got to play with him? I mean, he's been uh, amazing. You know, you're watching him play. He's fast. He's physical. He's making plays in the backfield. Got two sacks the other night. Like, he's all over the field. And, and I don't think anybody expected him to have this type of production um, coming off an injury that he was coming off of. But um, it just says to his work that he put in the offseason. Um, and I think he's gotten so so much smarter. You know, obviously, the first couple of years, you got to understand, I think it was his, COVID was his first year or somewhere around that. So he didn't get a real offseason. And then that following offseason wasn't really a real one either. So there's a lot of plays that, you know, he had to learn on the fly or things that he had to do on the fly. And so um, he's done a tremendous job, and he's it's been really, really fun to, to be playing alongside of him. You got to play for Clint Hurd in a little different role earlier in your career when he was playing in the defensive – or was the defensive line coach, and you got some – association with him but then you come back he's the defensive coordinator in your brief time that you've been playing for him in that role how have you seen him grow as a play caller in year two it does seem like he's a lot more comfortable in that role than what he was last year his first time being a play caller I think at any level yeah I think um you know last year it wasn't only his first time but he also had a lot of young players so it was you know his first time and then trying to figure out um, you know, how to get everybody on the same page, especially these young guys getting their first experience. And, you know, I think Jordan was moving to a new position. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but um, he's done a great job. You know, I think he's um, really, really smart. I always um, appreciate his smartness, even as a D-line coach, um, understand run fits, understand the past concepts. And I think the more and more, um, you know, he gets used to calling everything, the better Barry gets. I'm always curious talking to players, especially somebody that's got the accolades that you have, Bobby, talking about PFF and all these other outlets out there, the evaluations that they put out on players each week. And Quadre Diggs, we've had some very candid conversations about this, uh, you know, misconceptions of the safety position, what casual fans or even these uh, evaluators, what they're watching from the linebacker position perspective, what do you think is the biggest misconception in terms of how these outlets evaluate the position or their understanding of how the position is played? Um, I think the biggest thing that I always had, not an issue, but something with was just, um, you know, how they calculated like catches. You know, there was a year where they said, you know, I gave up a lot of catches, but um, a lot of it was me hustling to the ball or me trying to get to the ball. So they, you know, counted the yardage towards myself, but, you know, I think over the years they've they've done a good job of just trying to understand. A lot of it is just, you know, you have to feed the computer the right information. And, you know, we can either run from it or embrace it. Like it's going to be here. Um, you know, they're going to get better each year, and I feel like it's done that. How much value do those things have for you as a player? I know that a lot of players pay attention to it. There's some that say they don't, and then they reference stats. Like I know, I believe it was a Chenoweth the other day that said 36 pressures, and I think Pro Football Focus was the one that listed that in the Panthers game. But it's an imperfect science. But how much does that play into what players do in as far as preparation for a week or looking back at games, at least the advanced data? I don't know if people like look at it as far as preparation for a game. Um, I think you might pay attention to it after the game. 
um, to see what they think or whatever the case may be. Because, you know, coaches look at it, you know, guys like yourself look at it and they you, they reference it. And so um, when it's good in your favor, you like it. When it's not good in your favor, you hate it. So it's a love-hate relationship. Speaking of putting out fires, last year the Seahawks' run defense was 30th overall. It was one of the worst in the league. You guys right now are ranked third in yards per carry allowed. I believe it's 3.2 yards per carry, and some of that's with some of those Daniel Jones runs the other day late in the game that's kind of boosted that. You guys were under three going into that game against the Giants. You look at where this defense is at, being the man in the middle, the leader in the middle. What are you seeing? You've mentioned the gap integrity and playing better with the gaps, but what are you seeing big picture from front to back with the defense that really is elevating the play, defending the run, not just shutting down running backs, but also playing athletic quarterbacks like Daniel Jones? I think it's just trust. I think, um, you know, you're seeing more and more guys trust one another, trust they're going to be where they're supposed to be. Um, like I said, last year might have been, you know, a lot of young guys just, you know, trying to, um, you know, learn and understand what it takes to be in this league and all of that plays a part in everything. So, you know, a lot of those guys have a year in their belt. Um, obviously bringing myself back, you know, me and Jordan play with each other. So we have that chemistry. And so a lot of it is just trust and, and you can see that. You're coming off a performance where you guys gave up under 285 yards, just three points. You mentioned the youth on this roster. You got a lot of rookies like Devin Witherspoon that are playing extensive roles on this defense, but you've also got veterans like yourself. You've been around some of the best defenses that have played in the game earlier in your career. What do you think the ceiling is for this defense going into the meat of your guys' schedule? And what does that next step look like for you guys coming off the best game you've had easily all year on Monday night? I think we just got to turn into consistency. We have to do that. Like what, what we did last week, we have to do it again and, and do it again. And I think that's what, you know, makes a really, really good defense. Like you understand what you're going to get from them every single time you watch them play. And, you know, we've done it a little bit. We've gotten better over um, the course of the season, but we have to have it as a consistent level. And once we do that, I feel like then we can start talking about how great we can be. We want to thank you, Bobby, for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. And best of luck with the Prevent Defense campaign. That's clearly an important issue that we need to be informing people about, especially in the Pacific Northwest with all the wildfires that we have and uh, just the way that things have changed in that regard. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate you. When we come back, Rob Rang and I are going to be dishing out our first quarter report cards on the offensive position groups, quarterback, running back, tight ends, and of course, the ever-important offensive line. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at eBay Motors. eBay Motors has teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Every week, we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster heading into week five. Let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit fantasy picks of the week. Bengals running back Joe Mixon is off to a slow start, just like the rest of the team's offense, with Joe Burrow battling through a calf injury. With the receiving core shorthanded minus T. Higgins and Cincinnati desperately needing a road win in Arizona, look for the team to focus on winning with the rushing attack and defense. The Cardinals have allowed some ample run production on the ground, so look for Mixon to get 80-plus yards and a touchdown. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows a championship team 
is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to Bobby Wagner for spending some time with us today on the podcast as well. Really excited to see him continuing to do Amazing work off the field. We know what a fantastic football player that he is, but the number of different things that he has become involved with, the charity work that he has done, the campaigns that he has launched, he has really made a difference on and off the field in the Seattle community and really the, the everywhere he's been. Back in L.A., when he's with the Rams last year, he continues to get the job done off the field, and uh, that makes him a Hall of Fame person and not just a Hall of Fame player. For the 12 that are listening in right now, make sure that you are listening tomorrow. We will have our defensive first quarter report cards, and we will dish out our first quarter awards, Offensive Defensive Player of the Year. In this case, the player of the first quarter. We'll have all those awards coming up, so make sure you are listening in coming up on tomorrow's Thursday show. Let's get to the offensive position groups, though. Looking at the first quarter, and Rob, again, you and I, we were not math teachers, so we're not going to pretend we're going to sit here and do a bunch of math. But this is not a perfect science anymore with 17 games. There used to be 16 games, and right after four games, you're like, it's a perfect quarter. We don't get that luxury anymore, but this is about as close as you get with a week five bye. We can truly do a first quarter report card after the first four games. And so we're going to dish out our grades and use some of our teacher acumen here on the show. And let's start first and foremost at the quarterback position. Geno Smith's only thrown one interception to this point. The yardage, not necessarily where it was at this time last year, but he's been extremely efficient, still completing a high percentage of his passes. And, oh, by the way, the Seahawks are off to a 3-1 and one start. How would you grade the quarterback position through these first four games for the Seahawks? Well, I think that just to start off here, I think we have to focus on Geno Smith. I think you also have to acknowledge Drew Locke and what he was able to do um, in this last week's performance against the New York Giants, of course, on Monday Night Football. I, I give him a solid B+. And again, this is focusing mostly on Geno Smith. I think that the ugliest performance, of course, was Seattle's opening season loss to the LA Rams, where I thought that Geno Smith played pretty darn well. I think that he's played remarkably well, despite all of the turnover along the offensive line perhaps some of the uh you know skill position players around him per, uh, perhaps not performing up to expectations at this point what i've been so impressed with corbin is just the resiliency that we've seen from geno smith we saw it again against the giants when he goes down with the injury and yet comes back and plays very very well and it's the precision with the passing the ability to step up in the pocket a B plus, I, I feel like I am being a little bit critical when I'm only giving him a B plus at this point because I feel like there have been times where his play has been A plus caliber. The, the touchdown to DK Metcalf against the Giants 
for example, the ability to come back after that loss against the LA Rams and beat a Detroit Lions team that obviously has played very well here. As I mentioned before, where Drew Locke gets on there for one series and just leads the Seahawks to a touchdown. I mean, that is impressive stuff here. So for me, at the quarterback play, I'm going to give them a solid B+. Yeah, maybe I'm just a really strict grader, at least with quarterback play. But I'm going to go with a B, and the only reason I'm a little lower than you, Rob, is I'm still concerned that the third downs have not improved. And I think that that does fall more on the quarterback than some of the other issues that this offense has had. And obviously, the injuries on the offensive line have played into some of these slumps they've had in a couple of these games where they haven't been able to move the football or they've had penalties like Monday night that – stalled a couple drives that could have been really promising so not all of it falls in the quarterback but at the same time Geno Smith I think that's the next step for him can you become more efficient on third down and sustaining drives I have not seen the leap in that regard I love the fact that he's still completing a very high percentage of passes he's not turning the football over I feel like he's making smarter decisions than he was late last season we saw an uptick in turnovers and plays that could have been turnovers He is doing a good job protecting the football in general, but I do want to see that third down category that to me is one of the big difference makers for this team, whether they can truly be a contender or if they're that next tier where, yeah, you made the playoffs, but not a serious contender. That third down issue, a lot of that I think falls on the quarterback's shoulders. So I'm going to go with a B. Now let's go to the backfield. Ken Walker III, Zach Charbonnet, DJ Dallas, and company, the running backs for the Seahawks. Rob, this is a position group that even with the injuries in front of them, the production has certainly been there, and we've seen the pass-catching ability from this group as well. We've seen everything from this group, and that's what to me is the most exciting. That's why I have an A minus with the running back group, is because, you know, again, like at the quarterback position, obviously you're going to focus in on the starter, and so that's going to be Kenneth Walker the third. I've just been so encouraged by what I've seen from Zach Charbonnet as well, and in, in limited opportunities, DJ Dallas also. But it's been the elusiveness that we've seen from Kenneth Walker. It's been the sheer power and determination that we have seen from Zach. Charbonnet, just the uh, you know, just the the motivational factor, the juice that uh, DJ Dallas has provided, not only at the running back position, maybe I'm cheating a little bit, but at the returner position as well. I think that there have been many, many times that we've seen Seattle's running backs basically they were dead to rights in the backfield, and yet whether it be again elusiveness, whether it be burst, whether it be vision, whether it be power that they have been able to create yardage that frankly wasn't even there but it's just their own natural talents it's a testament to why you select running backs as early as the seahawks have so for me this is my highest grade of all of the players on offense i hate to just kind of you know uh you know ruin the surprise here but i really think that seattle's running backs are a big reason why they are three at one at this point Yeah, I've been impressed with this group as well. And since this is the position I coach, it's the position I played, I'm always a little bit more of a stickler with the running back position. I still want to see another step forward with Ken Walker III where he isn't trying to bounce runs quite as much. Now, we have seen what happens when it works. The problem is I still think we're seeing a few too many times where, and this was a big problem in the first half on Monday night, there were a couple runs that he had no business bouncing, just get downhill 
that is still the one thing that is holding me back from giving it a minus here. And I've even seen Charbonnet a few times not be quite as decisive as I would like to see running the football, but that's normal for a rookie. The speed in the NFL is just a whole different animal. So I've loved the receiving. I've loved the pass pro. Ken Walker, the third's made yes. some strides there. Charbonnet has been really good. DJ Dallas, when he's had his chances has been excellent in pass pro. I just, I have some nitpicking with the running game aspect, even though these guys have been pretty good behind an injury battered offensive line. I'm always going to be on the more strict side with running backs. Now going to receiver, I think this might be the only one, Rob, you and I, when we were preparing for the show that we had the same grade on. And this has to do with expectations. You draft Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. You're expecting that he's going to come in and make an immediate impact, and he's gotten off to a really slow start. Tyler Lockett's numbers are not quite on par with what we expect to see from him. He's been good, but not great. And DK Metcalf, I think he's off to the best start he's had, but the sheer volume of catches and stuff maybe isn't where it's been at in the past either. It feels like this group, and this is, again, all about expectations. You and I both went with B-minuses. My re- my rationale for that is I just feel like there's so much more that you can get from this group, and especially Jackson Smith and Jigba. My expectations were through the roof. So because of that, I got to go with a little lower grade, even though there have been flashes of brilliance from this group. It hasn't been that top three, top five caliber group that I was expecting to see. No, I think that's a very well well stated. Uh, I, I think that, uh, as you said, we were kind of expecting this to be a top three, top five kind of a group. And, you know, at the, at the slot position with, with Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, we haven't seen much from him. We haven't seen much from Jake Bobo. Obviously, the huge catch against the Detroit Lions was, was, was super important. But at the same time, it certainly has not been consistent in, in terms of that number three, number four wide receiver. Um, and then how disappointing that uh, specifically DK Metcalf was in the opening game loss to the Los Angeles Rams. I think that Tyler Locke has made some plays, but at the same time, there's also been some plays where, you know, I, I have a guy right behind my shoulder over here and, and Steve Largent in that Wheaties box that every time the ball hits you in the hands, you made the, cl- the, the catch, excuse me. And, and there's been a couple of times where I, I think that Tyler Lockett has let a few passes that, normally he would catch that have slipped off of his hands. And that's just kind of, uh, you know, not what we would come to expect from number 16. So to me, I, I do believe that, that especially with DK Metcalf, what he has done over the last couple of games has been very, very impressive. So I think this is a grade that perhaps you can make an argument should be a B. It definitely is on the upswing. That's what is encouraging to me. I saw, uh, I believe it's been a season high um, targets for Jackson Smith and Jigba in this victory here against the New York Giants. So again, I think that there's reason for optimism here, but at the same time, this is the lowest grade I gave any of Seattle's offensive players, offensive line, and all of the skill position talent. I do believe that this, as you said, is something that is a little bit based on what our expectations were and what the production has been so far this season. As far as position groups that I am just buzzing about, it's got to be tight end for me. That is the position group that I gave the highest grade for this first quarter report card. And I very rarely give an A because I usually find things to nitpick about. But even with Will Disley missing a game, this group, every one of the three guys is has improved as a run blocker. Even Will Disley's gotten better. Colby Parkinson, he had a hold the other day. But otherwise, he's been very good in the run game. And Noah Fant, going back and watching the All-22, 
he might have been the best offensive player for the Seahawks on Monday night all around. He had that big catch for 51 yards. He had a couple of really nice blocks. He has really taken that to heart. That was not a strength in his game. It wasn't even a mid in his game in Denver early on. It was not something he cared much about or really put much time into. Now he has developed into a true all-around tight end. So I'm giving this group an A. They all create after the catch. They come up with first downs. They are true security blankets. You have a couple guys that can stretch the defense. I just think this group, in terms of expectations, production, and what they've done, I feel like it has been the best position group for the Seahawks these first four games on offense. I would struggle to argue with you on that point uh, just because they, they have been very, very impressive. I mean, maybe Noah Fant did an extra credit assignment for you, sir. They didn't do for me. But I, I just think that, uh, that that you're articulating it very well. I, I think that really what this comes down to is, again, we talked about the wide receiver position, expectations. I expected this group to be an A a year ago, and they were not that. And, and so maybe I am grading them a little bit more uh, you know, strictly than, than perhaps Perhaps I should. I think that Will Disley is among the best blocking tight ends in all of the NFL. And I, I expect that on every single occasion. I expect him to be able to pluck footballs out of the air every single time. As you said with Noah Fant, I, I want to see a little bit more of the elusiveness and the straight line speed uh, that I saw back at Iowa that, that resulted in him being a first round pick from the Denver Broncos a couple of years back. And it was certainly was encouraging to see him just bulldoze the New York Giants defensive backs to be able to get that all the way down to the half yard line and result in that score. And Kobe Parkinson is just a, a quality all around football player. So to me, I think those are obviously Seattle's three primary tight ends. You can go four, five, six deep at that position for the Seahawks. So I've argued for a long time. I think this is Seattle's strongest, deepest position. And, and I think that they are certainly above average at this point. I just want to see that much more. I really think this could be a positional group that puts the Seahawks over the top. I'm pre I feel pretty solid about a B plus, but I definitely agree with your argument here of how this could be a, gr a positional group that gets that much higher of a grade in the A's. Let's quickly talk offensive line, tackles and interior offensive line. And obviously, we have not seen the starters together more than a half this entire season. There have been injuries galore. Abe Luke is on injured reserve. Charles Cross has missed the last three games. Damian Lewis has been in and out. Phil Haynes has been in and out. Evan Brown has been playing multiple spots, played some left guard on Monday. And so for me, with the injuries, I couldn't go below a B- minus for either one of these position groups, even though... I don't think the tackle play has been spectacular by any means. The Detroit game, they were fantastic. I think we have seen a regression. Jake Curran giving up two sacks against Kayvon Thibodeau the other day. That is a top five pick, so you are going to get beat sometimes. But I'm going to give the tackles a B- minus just because I feel like for expectations, the backups have done pretty well. There has been a little bit of a regression, though, particularly in pass protection. So I can't go above a B-. And interior O-line, I'm going with a B because I loved what I saw from Anthony Bradford the other day, checking in for Phil Haynes. He had a couple nasty run blocks against Leonard Williams, and Damian Lewis has been really good when healthy. Evan Brown has been a solidifying force for this line, and Timmy has played well when he's gotten his opportunities. So maybe nothing flashy, nothing exceptional, but they've shown up their depth, and they've been really solid, particularly in the run game. So I'm going to go with a B for the interior. Yeah, and, and I have it slightly different. I have a, a, a B with the outside, outside offensive tackles and a B minus with the interior. Again, it's a 
it's all about expectations here. You know, the, the B minus for the interior for me, I just look at Evan Brown is arguably your flashiest of the free agent signings, uh, at least along the offensive line, certainly. Um, and I think that he's been solid. I think that you, you have the, your, your fourth round picks and Anthony Bradford and, and with Phil Haynes and Damian Lewis, the second round pick you're expecting there to be quality play at the same time i think that they've been very very solid especially given the the durability issues that we've seen among seattle starters and the caliber of players that they have had to go up against but it's the offensive tackles that i really have to give a lot of credit to i mean charles cross and abraham lucas to see them go down i mean corbin let's just go back a couple of weeks ago i mean we had the panic meter out here <laughs> after week one you know and, and we were thinking that this is a possibly a club that could go and four at this point heading into the bye, and yet the tackles have been spectacular. I will absolutely raise my hand when it comes to my concerns I had specifically about Stone Forsyth and whether he'd be able to hold up, and he's been spectacular. If I was grading him right now, I'd have to be considering A kind of material at what he's done, and he has not been perfect. But if we're going to have that conversation about expectations and what has actually been, you know, been produced here, certainly the tight ends have helped him. Certainly Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, the coaching has helped him. Geno Smith has helped him. But still, the Seahawks offensive tackle play has been good enough to help them win rather than just allow them to survive. And so that's why I think that a B or a B minus at this point, certainly above average in comparison to all of the NFL, I think is warranted with how the Seahawks offensive line has played to this point, regardless of position, regardless of whether they started this season as a starter or as a backup. They are all contributing, and they're a huge part of why Seattle is 3-1 and one with three consecutive victories. Speaking of expectations, there's a certain first-round pick, a top-five pick, that had expectations through the roof coming to Seattle, and somehow he is living up to him. We are going to look back at Devin Witherspoon's Defensive Player of the Week performance against the Giants, breaking down some of his key plays, what we have seen from the rising star. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you when you least expect it. I can certainly say that the last few weeks have been insane. So it's important to show yourself through it all and put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out. We have a new program with the football season being here. Locked On is kicking off our coverage with Locked On NFL Kickoff Live. Each Friday, Locked On will go live at 2 p.m. Eastern on every Locked On NFL YouTube channel, so including Locked On Seahawks. Host Tanitra Batiste 
Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs will break down every game on the NFL slate to get you ready for your team's matchup, your fantasy lineups, your betting angles, and more. Plus, get the in-depth local analysis from our stable of NFL hosts across the country who know these teams better than anyone else. Find Locked on NFL Kickoff Live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on any Locked on NFL YouTube channel. All right, on Monday night, the primetime lights were out and a certain top five pick for the Seahawks enjoyed a coming out party at MetLife Stadium. Devin Witherspoon stuffing the stat sheet, seven tackles, two sacks, a 97-yard pick six to really break the game open midway through the third quarter. Three quarterback hits. We can go on and on. We're going to talk specifics here, but... Not surprisingly today, Rob, Devin Witherspoon was announced as the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Second straight year, the Seahawks have had a rookie corner that has earned that award. Week six last year, Reek Woolen got that award as well. So this shows you the young star power in Seattle's secondary. But there was just something different about this performance that Devin Witherspoon had. And I went back and I was watching the TV copy I don't know that I've ever heard Troy Aikman gush about a Seahawk the way that he gushed about Devin Witherspoon watching that game, just raving about him. And why wouldn't you with the way that he set the tone from the outset, playing a nickel spot that he only played a couple snaps at in his NFL career? Yeah, I think that's, again, very well said. I think that we kind of go back to what Pete Carroll said when the Seahawks drafted him. And he made the, I thought, fairly outlandish kind of comparison to Trey Polamalu, one of the most instinctive players that I have ever seen. And obviously at the safety position rather than the cornerback position. But I thought that Monday night's performance was just a beautiful illustration of exactly the instincts that Pete Carroll was gushing about based on college tape, had never seen it obviously at that point right after the draft at the nfl level and yet devin witherspoon absolutely proved pete carroll to be basically nostradamus at that point because it it was the open field tackling that we have seen already for the couple of games it was obviously closing in on the sacks two sacks in, in this game and then of course the 97 yard interception i mean i I was listening to some people talk about this performance against the Giants, and they, I think, had the audacity, that's the word I would use, to uh, you know, to describe a different play as the play of the game for the Seahawks. I mean, I think, again, we had to go kind of back in history a little bit. I mean, this was a game the Giants were putting themselves in position to perhaps make this a very, very interesting game. And Deborah Witherspoon basically just snuffed that out with that pick six to show the instincts that he demonstrated, to show the, the, the ability to be able to just kind of read Daniel Jones, make that pick, be able to not only get the interception, but then weave his way through traffic to be able to get the score that just silenced that, that crowd there. I thought that, you know, it was a spectacular performance. It's one that deserves kind of some some recognition. You, you mentioned before, Tariq Woolen uh, had the the you know the player of the week from the NFC side a year ago. I mean, look at some of the other players that got you know player of the week this year on the AFC side. For example, it was Khalil Mack who had six sacks, second most all time. Um, you know, for for the the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable performance, and I don't know that he was any more impactful for the Chargers than Devin Witherspoon was for the Seahawks. And for it to be on that stage against a team that, again, was a playoff team a year ago, 
you know, again, as good as it gets, absolutely legitimize Seattle making this selection at number five overall. For him playing a different position that he had played previously really does, is a testament to Devin Witherspoon, the Seattle coaching staff, and Seattle scouting staff as well for having the guts to select a player at that spot. Number, I mean, we're talking about getting a 180-pound player that plays with such physicality, such instincts. And we talked about it before, Corbin. I think the Seahawks have an absolute superstar. And you pair this kid with Reek Woolen, oh, my goodness. The Seahawks may just have the best cornerback duo in the NFL. And we've seen how far that can carry teams, especially if they have the quality offense like we talked about just a couple of moments ago. Our diehard listeners are not going to be surprised by this statement that I'm going to be making here, but – I feel like a lot of people coming out of this game were really shocked. Like, wow, what a performance. And for me, I'm like, this looks like another day at the office for the player that I watched at Illinois. And oddly enough, he never had an interception return for a touchdown in college. But some of that is because quarterbacks eventually reached a point where it's like, I'm not throwing at you. But you can't do that with this Seahawks secondary because Rick Woolen was on the other side as a pro bowler as a rookie last year. And he almost had a pick in this game, too. So I just, I look at what he did and yeah, it was an incredible performance, but like, I agree with Pete Carroll in a quote he said, like, you know, they never not expected him to be this. This is why they invested that top five pick in him. And you look at the plays he made. Pete Carroll has thrown this word around. And I think we've talked about this some, we were in the pre-draft process. I thought this was one of the cleanest profiles that I had seen for a draft prospect at any position in my 10 years that I've been doing draft stuff. It just was instantly viewable on film, just how natural of a football player that he was and how comfortable he was playing anywhere across the field. And that first sack that he had, a lot of the magic of blitzing as a corner is about timing and disguising. And he aced that. I mean, the Giants offensive line struggled the entire game, but he was acting like he was trying to go out wide with a receiver and moving in man coverage. And then suddenly at the perfect time, he turns and takes off and Daniel Jones didn't know he was coming. The offensive line didn't know he was coming. He perfectly executed that. And then there was the play that was my favorite play. It was not the pick six. It was when he came up and absolutely laid the wood on the backup running back, I'm trying. It was Brightwell. It was Gary Brightwell? I always think it's Kenneth Gainwell from the uh, Eagles. Very similar names, but he came up and just absolutely lit him up. And again, Troy Aikman. He doesn't. It, I'm just saying this. I don't remember him gushing about a Seahawk player the way that he did about Devin Witherspoon. But he came up and just laid the boom. At 185 pounds, that was my favorite play. There were gasps in the press box. I'm not kidding you. There were press members that gasped when that play happened live. And then that pick six, Jackson Bevins, our good friend from Cigar Thoughts that we've had on the show a few times, he came up with the perfect analogy for this. The Giants were knocking on the door, and Devin Witherspoon opened the door up with a shotgun. And ended up taking it back 97 yards for the interception. He baited Daniel Jones on that play. So we can sit and just rave and rave about his performance, but that was textbook. And it showed you the power that an elite player can have playing the slot position, especially in today's NFL. 
Well, and not only uh, what he made, what the play that he made against the New York Giants. I mean, that, that was the argument that I had. I, cause I was stunned. I, I, I will certainly acknowledge that I was stunned when the Seahawks selected a cornerback at number five overall after previously not selecting any cornerbacks, uh, you know, nearly that early in the John Shire Pete Carroll era. But you mentioned the, the nickel cornerback spot. That to me is what's most exciting because you think about where the best wide receivers in all of the NFL often are lined up now it's in the slot and that's the most exciting element about this is Devin Witherspoon's ability to play outside and then move inside college football what I often am asked to write about is right now is just buzzing about what Deion Sanders is doing at the University of Colorado and his ability to kind of line up and just erase the best wide receiver on the field basically is exactly what Devin Witherspoon is showing a little bit of flashes that perhaps he might be able to do for the Seahawks as well. And again, Deion Sanders is able to do it by himself, didn't necessarily always have an elite player around him, not a defensive rookie of the year candidate, Pro Bowl player like Rick Woolen on the yeah. outside. And the Seahawks having both those kind of guys, again, it could be a really special season here in Seattle. Just the fifth Seahawks rookie defender ever to win Player of the Week honors. The first player since 2000, the first rookie DB to have two sacks and a defensive touchdown. It was certainly a historic performance that was very worthy of Defensive Player of the Week. And the Seahawks believe that Devin Witherspoon is just getting started. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our defensive report cards at the quarter point. We'll be looking at defensive position groups, and we'll dish out our quarterly awards, offensive, defensive player, top rookie, comeback player, a bunch of different stuff. It's going to be a really fun episode. Make sure you're listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.